Good morning. I'm Steve Hauer. I'm one of the teaching pastors. It's my privilege to bring God's Word to you today. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation to distraction of uh, Satan versus Jesus. It's a series called Living Legend. And uh, of course, Christ is not a dead legend. He is still a living legend. And uh, in his life, we don't only just see examples, we see a Savior. So we look at him as to how to handle distractions, how to handle temptations, how to handle loss of focus. But we also know that we have a resource of strength because he is not uh, uh, just an example who has died, who has been laid away. He is still living, amen? And he promises to be with us always till the end of the age. And so there's a lot of help and a lot of great advice there. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts and those who are with us live streaming as well, let uh, our hearts, your words, bring your results in our lives to our blessing, but also to the blessing of those around us and the mission that we have and also to your glory. We pray in Christ. Amen. We live in a very distracting time, amen? Man, I, I tell you, you know, we are constantly connected. We are constantly in touch. Uh, you know, I'm a busy guy, and there are a lot of people who want my ear, and I carry a smartphone. It's always in my pocket, except for now. It's about the only time I don't have it with me is when I'm out here teaching or preaching because the other pastors would be giving me a hard time with text messages all throughout my message. And I can't have that, so I won't have that distraction. But otherwise, it's always with me. And, and uh, there may be a person in the congregation who's near death, and I've been in touch with the family and uh, ministered to the family. And, and, uh, and my wife is also a business person, and she's negotiating contracts. And so we may be out to dinner, and uh, you know we, we have iPads, we have iPhones, we have laptops, and we have desktops. You hear me? And so we'll be sitting there at dinner, and it's the rudest thing, but, you know, suddenly you get this buzz or you get this ding in your pocket, and you think, well, I'm in the middle of a contract negotiation. Excuse me, I may need to check this, or maybe that's word that, you know, somebody needs me, and I need to check that. We're never not available for distraction, and I'm sure if that's true for me, that's also true for you, and if it's not a smartphone, you know, it easy access to you. It, it's when you're in your car with the radio blaring and people vying for which button you're going to push as to whether you want to hear news, whether you want to hear Christian music, country music, or modern music, whatever it might be. And then when you get home, I don't know about you, but I, I don't realize how many TVs I have until I negotiate a contract with a provider. And I think, yeah, I, I really do have six TVs. You know, it's a Sorry to admit it, but, uh, and, and then if you're moving around in your house, because, you know, who sits still at home? There's things to be done, you know, and, and so I'll have the TV on in this room and in that room and in this room, because, you know, I'm going to move from room to room, and, you know, I need to stay connected, right? There's just constant noise, constant attention, constant distraction. People are always marketing things to us, you know, even as you move through uh, life, as you drive down the street, you know, just constant, constant attention, sapping distractions. But I think it's always been that way. It was that way in the life of Jesus. It was that way uh, 
in uh, the Dark Ages. In fact, the, the great reformer who restored the gospel that man is saved by grace through faith in Jesus and not by his own works, Martin Luther, who brought that message back to a whole world that had begun to believe that it was by, you know, buying scripts of paper that you could forgive your sins or by doing good works more good than bad that you were saved. He brought this message back. No, you are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done for you, not what you do for God. You do it in response, not in order to achieve incredible, important message. The whole world came to Wittenberg. Now, Wittenberg was a small little village. It still is in eastern Germany. It's not on a major thoroughfare. You have to want to go there to go there. And yet the whole world, you know, even uh, the emperor of the Roman uh, Empire and also uh, the Pope's attention was drawn to Wittenberg and to this upstart who was, who was trying to get the world to accept the truth about the nature of God. And uh, you can imagine the distractions he had in his life. In fact, one day the, the burgermeister, the mayor of uh, that small village, came to him and said, how are you doing, Dr. Luther? Is everything okay? He says, I can't get everything done. There's just too much to do. I have to get up earlier and pray more. You know, in order to get more done. That was his response to uh, demands. And he said, what do you mean? You're a man of God. You should never be distracted. He said, oh, everybody's distracted. He says, well, I'm not, especially not when I'm in worship. He says, I beg to differ. He says, in fact, I'll bet you one of my ponies, and I have some nice horses, uh, that you can't pray the Lord's Prayer without distraction. And he says, I'll just take your word for it. You're a man of honor, and I'll just take your honor on that. And he said, let's just sit down here and pray. And he began to pray, our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they finished the entire prayer. And he said, so how did you do? And he says, well, I got to about the third petition. He said, then I wondered, does the saddle come with that horse? <laughs> There's just so many ways in which our sinful flesh is prone to distraction. To thoughts other than thoughts of what God would have us do. Well, let's read from Matthew uh, chapter 4. The example of the life of Christ. But there's not only an example of the life of Christ here. There's also an example of the nature of evil. The nature of Satan. And Satan tends to use strategies over and over again. Because he's a smart guy. And he's learned what works. And so the strategy that he applies against Jesus. Is the strategy that you could expect he will also apply against you. From Matthew chapter 4. Now Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Whoa, stop right there. Shouldn't God lead me away from distraction? Shouldn't God lead me away from temptation? What do you mean the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted? Does God do that? Does God not only allow, but even lead us into temptation? Let's read on. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Who wouldn't? After four hours, I become hungry, let alone 40 days and 40 nights. Now, fasting is a common spiritual discipline in the Bible. In fact, it's common among the great religions of the world today. Jewish people fast. Muslim people fast. Christian people fast. There's no place in the Bible that says you score extra points. That you're going to have a better seat in heaven at the banquet table because you fast. Fasting is simply what, the, what the, the, the confessions call a bodily discipline. It's just a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. It doesn't achieve anything special in God's sight because you fast. It's just a way in which you can strengthen yourself 
to handle difficulties in life. You know, and, and typically fast would be that uh, I wouldn't eat during a certain period of the day. Or I would only eat uh, maybe some broth or some light soup. And usually at night after the sun goes down, you know, to sustain the body. The point of fasting is just every time I feel the hunger, every time I feel the pain, every time I feel the desire, okay, this is why I'm not eating, reminds me to focus, reminds me to pray. So that's what Jesus was doing. He was preparing himself not only for the temptation that was to come, but for the mission that he was beginning because he had just been baptized, age 30, three more years of ministry than the cross. He was not unaware of his purpose in life. Other people were unaware, but he was never unaware of his purpose in life. So the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Why did he go there? Because Jesus was hungry. You know, what is it that you desire? The devil's more than willing to, you know, trade your soul for what it is you desire. Satisfy yourself. You deserve it. You're working hard. You're working long. You deserve a break. Go ahead. It's not a big deal in the scheme of things. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of my Father. He told his disciples this as well. He said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And he was talking about the word of God and how it sustains him and strengthens him. This is one approach to temptation. Be in the word of God long before the temptation comes. Amen? You know, I I love that passage in the Psalms that speaks about the flood. And it says, surely in a flood of great waters the Lord will not be found. You know, when the trouble comes, it's too late to get strong. You know, if you're waiting like Peterson, you know, to run the marathon and you haven't done any exercise before that, your old man's going to show you up. He happened to run with his dad last weekend in a marathon. Don't worry. He was well prepared. He did beat his dad by a minute. You have to get ready before the trial. Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you are the son of God, interesting, if you are, if you are, go ahead, prove, appeal to pride. You know, if you are who you say, if you're strong enough, you know, if if you're that kind of business person, that kind of businesswoman, that kind of businessman, you know, why don't you just prove it? You know, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now I've been on the Temple Mount a few times and the corner that he's talking about overlooks the Kidron Valley. I mean, just jumping off of the Temple Mound, let alone off the wall of the temple that would have been standing there, would be certain death. He said, if you jump down, doesn't the Bible say he's going to give his angels charge over you? They're going to protect you while you're not even going to bruise your foot. The angels are going to watch over you, which is an assurance that we are not alone. You know, often when kids come through the communion line with their parents, I bless them. Man, I, I just think about all the abuse that happens to kids You know, and especially in my mind to girls. And I just say, may God's angels watch over you. You know, it's just my prayer for them as they come through the line. You know, because uh, you can't always be there. And it's just a comfort to know that I have angels that watch over my kids. He says, doesn't it say that the angels are going to take care of you? And he says, it also says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, he was attempting him to be reckless with his life. And the Lord says, I'm not supposed to be reckless and neither are you. And so he moves on. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Now, the devil has great power. Two mistakes that you can make about Satan is not give him enough respect, because he does have great power. In fact, he's called the prince of this world in the scripture. 
or to give him too much respect and to believe he's more powerful than the Lord. The Bible says, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. So no matter how great he is, at the sound of Christ's name, he must leave you and flee from you if you will but turn there. He took him to a high mountain. We don't know if it was a high mountain in the Holy Land and he was granted a special vision of the kingdoms, even the Roman kingdom, or if it was a high mountain somewhere else in the world, we don't know. It doesn't matter. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, if you will but fall down and worship me, I can give you all of these things. He tempted him to satisfy himself. He tempted him to live recklessly. He tempted him to worship success, worship the moment. If you will just cut corners now, I can give you things. The devil can give you things. He can give you possessions. He can give you success at work. He can give you all kinds of things. If you will just but compromise a bit. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. And the devil left him and angels came and ministered to Jesus. I like the way Luke describes this in his uh, telling of the story. He said the devil left him for a more opportune time. In other words, just for a little bit. He's going to be back. You know, okay, you won this one, but I'm not going to give up on you. And that's the nature of temptation. That's the nature of Satan. Well, when I uh, think about the importance of uh, dealing with distractions and dealing with temptation, I cannot help but think about the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. I was raised in a Christian school. We had memory work every day. We memorized not only the prayer, not only the commandments, not only the Apostles' Creed, not only many Bible passages. We also memorized uh, the Reformers' definition of the petitions. The prayer is divided into seven petitions. In, in fact, it begins with a, an introduction and then a conclusion. Our Father who art in heaven. That's an address. That's an that's a introduction. Hallowed be thy name, petition number one. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, two and three. And finally, you get to the sixth petition. The sixth aspect of that prayer is lead us not into temptation. It's important that you think about this prayer uh, as not just a, a good memory prayer to teach your child or not just something you say uh, and rattle off without thought because um, then that's it, not useful. The reason the prayer was given was because the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us what's important to pray about. Teach us how to pray as John the Baptist uh, taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And so that's why we still teach the Lord's Prayer to children. That's why we still break it out into petitions and we study what the petitions mean. I was taught that this petition means this. God indeed tempts no one. That's right from the Bible. James 1.13. God tempts no one and God himself cannot be tempted to evil. Amen. That's what the Bible says. You have to own it. When you succumb to temptation, you have to admit that that comes from within. And he says it's interesting. When temptation conceives, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it leads to death. Interesting analogy to conceiving a child, you know, nurturing a child, growing a child until a child is strong. You know, if you give temptation its opportunity, it will lead you to destruction. God indeed tempts no one. But we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own sinful desires would not deceive us nor seduce us into misbelief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Misbelief? Maybe God's word isn't right. Maybe it's not trustworthy. 
shame, things that the devil can beat you up on and whisper in your ear, see you're not so great, how can you call yourself a Christian, and other forms of vice, other forms of sin leading others to trip as well. And then he says, but though we be assailed by them, he left him for a more opportune time. You cannot escape temptation. Though we be assailed by the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, that still we may overcome and obtain the victory. That's a pretty good definition of that petition and what we mean when we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, we know you don't tempt, but we know the devil, the world, and our flesh is out there trying to trip us. So, Lord, be in our camp and help us overcome and turn temptation uh, not only into a victory, but even a blessing. Let me just point out five truths about temptation and then three keys to applying God's word to overcome distractions and maintain your focus in life. The first is this. No one avoids temptation. Jesus did not avoid temptation. The devil had an interesting strategy here. If he could get Jesus off of his mission, if he could get Jesus to do anything except go to the cross, the whole world would go to hell. There would be no opportunity for salvation. If he could stop salvation at its source. And so he threw everything he could and everyone he could, even Peter who said, this will never happen to you, Jesus. I won't let you go to the cross. Even used his friends against him. Maybe you felt that way. He did Everything he could to stop salvation at its source. He failed because Christ completed the mission. It is finished. Into your hands now, Lord, I commend my spirit. Christ had accomplished the purpose. Amen. Now, if you can't stop salvation at its source, you keep people from coming to the source. So his attention has turned to us. You know, the salvation is available. So if I can just block your access to salvation through the temptation of individuals then I can still win this game. No one avoids temptation. Jesus did not, you will not. And though we be assailed by them, that we still may overcome and obtain the victory. Secondly, temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. I like the way it describes it elsewhere in the scripture. When it says, not only is temptation not a sin, Jesus was tempted to your benefit. It says the Holy Spirit urged him out into the wilderness. Why would God bring him to temptation? The Bible says, we have a high priest in heaven. The high priest was one who made intercession for the people. When they went up to the temple, they said, you know, high priest, here's our offering. Make it to God. Pray for us. Well, we don't need to go to a pastor, to a priest. You know, we have direct access because of Jesus Christ to the very throne of God. And in the, the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, it says, We have a high priest in heaven who can sympathize with our weakness because he himself was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Wow. He's not just God Almighty who cannot succumb to temptation. He was one who walked this earth with me. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He knows what it's like to see people suffer. He knows what it's like to see the poor, to see the diseased. He knows what it's like to get tired. He knows what it's like to be tempted and yet without sin. So I have a God who has taken flesh and blood, who has experienced what I experienced. So when I pray to God in heaven, I know that I have an advocate before the Father's throne who says, you know, I know what that's like. I know what he's going through. Lord, this is what he needs now. This is how we ought to intercede. This is how we ought to help Steve in his trouble. 
Temptation itself is not a sin. Temptation is always an attempt to distract. Every sin is personal. The Lord was tempted to become the center of the universe. Satisfy your needs. Go ahead, practice risky behavior. Make success your purpose in life. You know, it's still the way the devil comes at us. You know, he attempts to distract us, to help us lose focus and forget that we have a mission, just like Christ have a mission. And our mission, regardless of whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're a daughter or a, or a, a son, uh, whether you're a business person or, or whether you're retired, doesn't matter. Your mission in life is the same mission that Christ had to show God in your life so that others might come to the knowledge of salvation. Now, we do that in different ways and in different relationships and in different places, but we all have that singular mission. The devil just wants you to think that your mission is not that or not that important. We tend to see others succeed and say, what about me, God? You know, I've been faithful. How about throwing some success my way? When I suffer, I'm tempted to say, Lord, why am I suffering? You know, I've done more for your cause than many people have done for your cause. Why am I permitted to suffer? It's interesting, the scripture even says elsewhere in the Bible, when you think about suffering and how to endure it, think about the prophets who spoke in his name. Most of them died for it. It's not a sign of God's displeasure. It may be a special opportunity for you to demonstrate faithfulness. But we tend to think, what about me? When others catch a break, we wonder why we don't catch a break. You know, I don't know about you, but I have to pay taxes every year. Anybody? Can you relate? This is tax week. You know, we just uh, had to do that, had to sign off and give her the government so much money. And uh, I'm tempted to say, if there weren't so many entitled people in this nation, you know, if uh, more people paid tax than did not pay tax, it seems to have crossed the line where more people are holding their hand out than writing the check. How did that go anyway, that president who said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask? Yeah, whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to that? And yet, as Christians, we are tempted to do the very same thing. We are tempted to say, what about me? I visited somebody uh, in the hospital, and in fact, they were critically uh, ill. And uh, I came, you know, as a pastor, I, I don't pretend, I'm not suggesting I go to the hospitals a lot. We have people who do that, and, and I don't want to steal, you know, uh, the honor that they deserve. They, we have a great system and great guys who do that. Uh, but occasionally I will go if I'm asked or, or if uh, uh, somebody I have a lifelong relationship with, and this was an older person that I've known a long time. And so I went uh, to read Scripture, to bring comfort, and to pray for this person. And uh, so I went in there, just all pastored up, you know, all in my mind what I was going to do. And, and the first thing out of this person's mind was, why are we spending so much money over in Cambodia? And I, Seriously? I'm here to pray with you. You know, I'm here to comfort you. Why are you throwing that in my face? I said, I don't know. People are going to hell from there, you know, and, and we can help and we have the opportunity. Well, there are people going to hell from here. And I said, yeah, they are. Well, charity begins at home. Does it really? You know, isn't it in giving that we receive? I said, can we get back to the reason why I'm here? You know, it's just interesting. Like, what about me? It happens in the church. You know, what about people my age, church? What about my preference in music, church? Oh, man, I'm plowing close to the corn now. What about my issues? You know, there are people here who are all the time running issues at us. You know, like, 
come on, why don't you guys step up and speak about what, is, what constitutes Christian marriage in the nation? You know, why don't you guys speak more pro-life and more anti-abortion? Why don't you guys support more Christian scouting organizations? Why don't you guys do more about moral issues in our nation, the inner city, the poor and the needy? Why don't you guys do this or do that? Why don't you make my agenda or your agenda? You know, those are all important things, and Christians should engage in them. Man, I'm so proud to see so many of you leading the charge in those ways, and that's a way in which you should demonstrate faith. The church is not something that this group decides to do. It's all y'all, you know, doing what God asks you to do. In fact, uh, Tom Peters, who's a, a famous Christian businessman giving advice to organizations, says, Behind every great endeavor, there's a monomaniac on a mission. And some of you ought to lead those causes. And we will praise you, encourage you, and we will also direct people to your attention. But Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, this church will not become a political activist organization. We are here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that what you want? Isn't that why we're here? To talk about not the world's issues, not about the Supreme Court, not about President Obama, not about the Congress and how messed up they are. We're here to talk about how messed up we are and how much we need Jesus so that we can be the salt and the light in the world. Amen? That's what we're to be. And then the world will change as we live our life out there, not in here. Lights are meant to be hung in dark places. There's a lot of light in here. You know, the and the message is preached every week, and here we sing the message, you know, from service to service. It's interesting how much they dis- tried to distract Jesus in his life. You know, one morning he was off early to pray, and somebody went out to find him. Peter went out to find him and said, Lord, what are you doing out here? Don't you know there are people who need healing? There are people who need you, and, and this is our moment of popularity. This is our moment to seize power and control. And Jesus said, we must leave here and preach the gospel, for this is why I've come. Did he care about sick people? Did he care about poor people? Did he care about lepers? Of course he did. But that was not his mission, and he would not be distracted to do those temporary things and sacrifice the eternal thing. Amen? Do you get it? Do you see it? You know, another man said, Master, judge between my brother and me. He's trying to cheat me out of my inheritance. Jesus said, who made me judge over you? Yeah, somebody probably needs to do that. That's not why I'm here. Another time they brought a coin to Jesus, and they wanted him to get politically active. And they said, "Uh, is it right that we pay taxes to Caesar? What did Jesus say? Whose picture's on the coin? You know, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and give to God the things that are God. Do not be distracted from your divine purpose. You know, all of those other things are not unimportant. They are just not the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they cannot be the distraction to the church. It's important to know that temptation has its limits. Boy, this is helpful to me. You know, um, this passage from Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, No temptation will come upon you that has not been experienced by other people. You know, that's kind of good to know. You know, I'm not the only one. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your limits. But with the temptation, will provide a way of escape so that you may succeed. It's a powerful thing to know that uh, although temptation sometimes has the upper hand, 
If I do like Christ and I apply prayer and I apply God's word even before I face the difficulty, I can overcome the temptation. No temptation can come upon me that I do not have the power by God's favor to resist. And finally, the last point, temptation can yield a blessing. It yielded a blessing in the life of Christ that he's now in heaven able to understand my concerns when I pray to him. That's a powerful thing. It also can earn uh, a blessing for you. I think about Peter, you know, in the upper room before he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was arrested. Jesus said moments before it happened, just moments before it happened, tonight, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. Peter said, never going to happen. I will die before I deny you. An hour later, aren't you one of his followers? I do not know the man. No, no, no. I hear the dialect. You are a Galilean like he was a Galilean. You are one of his followers. I tell you, I do not know the man. Now, I saw you with him. I, you are one of those guys. And he swore an oath that he was not with him. And immediately the rooster crowed and Peter realized that he had done exactly what Jesus said. He had lost his focus, lost his purpose, and had been uh, succumbed to temptation. But Jesus had also made another prediction he said, when you overcome, Peter, use your experience to strengthen the brethren. Now, in this congregation, there are people who have fallen prey to adultery. There are people who have fallen prey to uh, materialism. There are people who have fallen prey to alcoholism, to drug abuse, you name it. I mean, if, if we were honest and uh, could silently write the things that we've succumbed to, uh, all of us would cover all of the moral sins of the Scripture there is none here who has not fallen and succumbed to temptation. But Jesus came not only to be a model, but also a forgiver, a savior, an encourager. He didn't dismiss Peter because Peter had fallen down. He said, Peter, when you've fallen down and when you turn back and you receive my forgiveness and you receive my strength, you now have an experience, Peter, that will be helpful to the others. Use it for the benefit of them. So don't let the devil... Keep your secret a secret. I'm, I'm not saying you should lead with that in every conversation. Do you know I was guilty once of, you know, and there are Christians like that. I don't think that carries well. But when you find somebody, when you hear somebody who's struggling with something that you've struggled with, even especially something that you've succumbed to, you can, you can find a time privately to come alongside them. And this can become a blessing in your life as you use your failure uh, to help in their time of need. And be a strength to them, which will also be a strength to you. And you will find over time that what used to be a trouble for you is no longer a trouble. You know, what used to be uh, something that you were subject to in terms of temptation is no longer a temptation. It can become a victory, a strength, and not a weakness. Let me just run over three keys to your victory. First is gain some objective reality. Discern what is right or wrong. Satan will come at you trying to rationalize behavior that you know is wrong. Know your scripture before you find yourself in those situations. Know that he's going to come and say, satisfy yourself. You deserve to satisfy yourself. Know that he's going to come and say, you can be reckless. God will take care of you. It doesn't really matter. Know that he's going to come and challenge you to worship success and make success in this life the thing. And Jesus said, no, worship not success. Worship not being king on earth. Worship the Lord and him alone is what God caused me to do. So know objectively what is wrong and what is right before you find yourself in that condition. Secondly, 
know yourself, a healthy dose of subjective reality. All sins are personal. What your struggle is is not my struggle. What my struggle is is not your struggle. I don't know what it is, but you ought to know what it is. And you ought to even now be building strength in that area of weakness. You know, if you were a, a king living behind a castle and part of your wall was accessible to the enemy, you would spend some time strengthening the wall. Spend time now before the temptation comes to strengthen that aspect of your life. If it's anger issues, if it's lust issues, if it's jealousy issues, if it's selfishness issues, if it's materialism, you know, deal with that now before the temptation comes. And there's a new movie out just released uh, called 42, a movie about Jackie Robinson, the, the man who broke the color barrier in baseball. I've seen a few of the trailers, and it's kind of interesting. Branch Rickey brings him in, and Branch Rickey has heard that Jackie Robinson's uh, great weakness is, and it may, it may damage the whole concept of, of uh, breaking down racial tension in Major League Baseball, is that he has anger issues, and he can be baited into arguments. And so in an interview in Branch Rickey's office, Branch Rickey calls him every racist name he can call him to see if he will lose his temper, and he got this close. It was a curious interview, and he said, the reason I am challenging you this way is because this will seem mild compared to what you will face. And he went on to face those things. Prepare before you have the problem come into your face. And then finally, learn the 4-7-2 step, and I, I mean James 4, verse 7. It's kind of a, a simple formula, but it's repeated three times there, so it must work. It must be God's wisdom on the thing. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He doesn't say resist the devil and then turn to God. No, strengthen yourself before the temptation. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, let him exalt you. It's a powerful lesson. Those who maintain their focus... Those who, like Christ, are in spiritual disciplines before the temptation comes. Those who know the word of God before the trial comes. Those who maintain the focus are the best at what they do. It's true in business. It's true in sports. It's true in life. May God help you maintain your focus, understanding your purpose, to demonstrate Christ in your life. For no other reason have you been given life than this. Now, the others are just means to that end, but the end is for you to be Christ among your friends and Christ in this world. Amen.